0: This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH podcast with Robert Voor and Steve Austin. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. Is that what you're going to say? Go ahead. Something like that, but do I don't it. have a good okay. radio voice.
2: Welcome to ah. the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm here with my co-host, Sinterklaas. Uh, Sinterklaas, <laughs> how are you this week?
1: Is that German, Santa Claus? I'm pretty sure that's what it is.
2: Something like that.
1: That's awesome. How are yeah, you in the good. reindeer? How are you, friend?
2: I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Good. Well, anything super exciting going on with you? I don't <laughs>
1: Here's what I love. People have no idea the things that you have to do to edit this intro because we are trying to be family-friendly, PG, and bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) You have to do a lot of editing work on these intros, and it's really fun for me to aggravate you just a little bit.
2: I don't know if it aggravates me. Mostly, I think it's funny. And then what happens is, and if you go back and listen, you might be able to hear this. What happens is we seem like we're having a normal conversation. And then somewhere in the middle of the conversation, it sounds like one of us is just kind of laughing while having the conversation and nothing funny has happened. Uh, But really, something something funny has happened. You just missed it. That I've taken out because it didn't contribute to whatever (laughs) or... (laughs) <laughs> you know, was a joke that only we would appreciate, or something like that. Yep. So,
1: monkeys riding dogs.
2: What does that even mean? <laughs> I,
1: just, I just want you know. Hey, sometimes you, just, you know. There was a commercial on the radio. About five years ago, probably for the Shelby County Fair, because that's where I live in Shelby County, Alabama. And it was a commercial for the Shelby County Fair. And like in the middle of this, like radio announcer guy thing talking about there's this, there's that. Come do this. Come ride the blah, blah, blah. And in the background, obviously on purpose, but in the background, you hear this like super redneck guy yell in the middle of this commercial monkeys riding dogs. And it's. It's just funny, and it's stuck with me ever since, so there you go.
2: Well, We're just going to start slipping that in in the background of our most serious conversations. Good, I like it. Yeah, just keep a light mood. Well, hey, what do you have going on? You actually have something to talk about, right?
1: Hey, I have. Yeah, I do have. um, So, you know, we do the PS episodes occasionally now, and so because of that, we have people who have a story, they want to submit and they're just not really sure how to tell it in five minutes or 10 minutes. And um, you know, it, everybody's not a storyteller, but everybody has a story. And so um, I started this seven day, writing challenge. It's totally free. Uh, people might remember the seven-day self-care challenge that is still going on. You can sign up for any time. But this is, uh, it's email-based. You get a PDF, downloadable PDF worksheet uh, to do every day for seven days. You also get a video tutorial from me every day. And we, through those seven days, I will walk you through how to create a concise, compelling story. So it's just all about creating a a powerful message and how to do that. So if you ever ever wanted to submit a PS episode to us, uh, you got something that you really want to tell and you just aren't sure how to do it, sign up for this thing. It starts on Monday. You can go to jointheridingchallenge.com, and it's going to be lots of fun.
2: Nice. That's That's
1: what I got going on. What about you, pal?
2: What's new Uh, about you? I'm actually I'm excited to launch this. I'm gonna start a seven day Steve Austin challenge where you try to do all of Steve Austin's seven day challenges in my seven days. Yeah. So it's gonna be great.
1: Steve Austin has a lot going on, but you know what?
2: I my ADHD
1: brain, it's how I work. Like here at work when I'm doing my regular day job, they're like what else are you doing today? I'm like, well, I'm writing this, I'm doing that, I'm blah blah, you know, I just this. It's just how it works for me. If I if I had to just do one thing all day every day, I would go nuts.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Yep. We're the yep, masters yep, yep. of uh, spinning plates
1: here. That's right.
2: That's how we roll. All right, well, let's get into this episode. Let's let the people get to the the meat of the episode, I guess, if that's a real thing, you know.
1: Bring on the bacon.
2: Sure, go ahead. So this episode, we talk with John Scott. He's one of the hosts of the Holy Heretics John podcast, Scott. Great Scott. as well as a singer-songwriter, won some awards in that, I think, if I remember correctly, but you'll hear it when we get into the episode and introduce him, yeah. and we're just talking about bad theology.
1: song of the year.
2: Yeah. Just talking about bad, bad theology. theology. If theology isn't really your thing, I would say still give it a listen. He's very relatable. It's not you know, all this kind of high academic stuff, it's, you know, this conversation is, I think very relatable. So stick around even if maybe deep theology isn't really your thing because it's a I think it's a, a great episode.
1: John's a fantastic communicator. He's a great guy. He has become a good friend of mine just walking through some uh, some church hurts and some difficulties, and uh, he has really been there for me through that. And uh, his show, Holy Heretics, The Holy Heretics Podcast, is fantastic. If you're one of those folks, who they call themselves, uh, their their little tagline for the Holy Heretics is alternative theology for spiritual misfits. Hmm. So if you're a spiritual misfit, you will love John Scott. This episode's really good.
2: Well, hey, without, fr- oh shoot, nope, with one further ado. Oh, do ado, it, come on, I do. Always, my bad. Hey, if you love what we're, if you love what we're doing Subscribe, click subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Leave us a review, tweet about us, whatever—all that good jazz that we said last week. I just, you know, have to throw that in there as a final ado before we get to the episode. So, if you don't understand the ado joke, you should go back and listen to last week's. Year.
1: Call me, beat me if you wanna reach me. Where did that come from? What song is that? From? I have no idea. Yep, yeah, you're probably in third grade. That's okay. Go ahead.
2: All right. Well, let's get to it. Here is our episode on bad theology with John Scott.
1: Hey, welcome back to the CXMH podcast. It's Steve Austin, and I am here with my buddy, Robert Vore. Welcome uh, back to the show, sir.
2: Hey, how's it going? You know what? It's
1: good. It's really good. It's uh, mm. it's just a good day. I'm glad to be here. We're talking to a, a cool cat today. We get to talk to John Scott of the Holy Heretics podcast. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun to, to interview another podcaster. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let me give you a little intro, a little bio here on John, and uh, and then we'll jump into this thing. John Scott has been a singer, musician, and songwriter nearly his entire life. He has shared the platform with both sacred and secular speakers, teachers, and musical artists, such as, get ready for this list, New Song, Clint Brown, Jason Crabb, Luke Bryan, Big and Rich, Bishop Carlton Pearson... Dr. Michael Beckwith, and so many more that I did not include. John served in traditional ministry for several years, although he has never been a, quote, normal preacher. And that's what we're going to talk about today. John's the co-host of the Holy Heretics podcast, Uh, just spoke at my home church a couple of weeks ago, has a new inspirational EP, and is nominated for Song of the Year at the Posey Awards. Did I
3: say that right, John? Yeah, so Pazi. Pazi Ward, I think is how they say it, but yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> well, hey, welcome to the show, John Scott. I'm glad you're here.
3: Oh, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Not everybody invites a a, 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 a heretic onto their show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, man, I am a regular listener to your show, and so I want to start by saying thank you. For creating a space for healthy, constructive dialogue for the rest of us who identify like you do as a spiritual misfit. Um, I'm a huge fan of the show. I love it. And um, I'm hoping that today's conversation will encourage people, listeners who are feeling sort of the same way.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we wanted to create a space because there are a lot of people who don't necessarily, um, you know, see it the way uh, we've always been told to see it, you know? And so there's a there's a bit of a journey that's taken place. And I think we're all kind of on that journey together. And we wanted to create a space and a place for people to show up and not uh, feel the pressure and the judgment and condemnation that sometimes comes with the hard questions. Yeah, that's awesome. I think
2: it's cool to have such a successful musician on. Steve, I know, is a, a worship guy at his church and I do some worship stuff. My undergrad is actually in music. So we've got a podcast full of musicians here on a podcast that has nothing to do with music really. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's been an interesting thing for me because I mean, I started playing music at, um, well, I don't ever remember not singing. I was joking about it yesterday and I was at a place in Chattanooga doing a, a, a spiritual service. And, uh, I was telling that, you know, I came out of the womb singing, which all babies do, I guess it's all, it's the same <laughs> song. It's, it's in the key of wah. And, um, and i just you know I've, I've i don't remember ever not singing when people say man when did you start singing and playing music i don't ever remember not doing it i mean i remember when i started playing drums and kind of got into the music side of it and i played drums from the time i was like four years old till i was about 17 now i picked up some other instruments along the way but i was a drummer and a singer and played a harmonica on a harmonica stand uh behind the drum kit and um then I realized it's kind of hard to accompany yourself with a set of drums. So I, I, went from the, I went from the Phil Collins thing to bass guitar. Well, I started playing bass guitar about 13, 14 years old. And then I finally picked up acoustic guitar in my early 20s and piano and just kind of, you know, just kind of moved along with it. Been songwriting, you know, ever since I guess I was about 19 when I wrote my first song. And so it's always been a part of me. And I've had many influences over the years. And I tell people the Lord put a song in my heart.
1: Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes. (laughs) Well, much like you, I started writing poetry at a very early age. I won a pizza for my family from Pawpaw's Pizza in Wilsonville for my uh, poet laureate status uh, poem in kindergarten uh, for the Halloween contest. And the poem simply said, yeah, simply said, boo, boo. How do you do? Had a picture of a witch on it on construction paper. You're welcome.
3: Oh, thanks, man! That visual, fantastic. Right. I will, I will yeah. carry that for a long time. Pawpaw's Pizza. Mm-hmm. Of that's course,
2: right. it's named Pawpaw's Pizza, Steve. No, not
1: not Pawpaw's Pizza. That's Pawpaw's pizza, Paul Paul's <laughs> Pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Get it right.
1: Get it right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get
1: wow. right or get left. What? Hmm. Turn or burn. Uh huh. That's right.
2: <laughs> that's amazing. Somehow, I'm the least southern person on this podcast, and I grew up in Georgia and went to school in Alabama. Oh. Yeah.
1: Wow.
2: You can't Johnson? tell though. He's <laughs> in
1: Nashville now, but you're a, you're a Georgia guy, right, John?
3: I am. Yeah, I grew up in middle Georgia, man. I I grew up in the crazy town of Milledgeville. Yeah. Uh, the Home of the largest mental institution at one time. Seriously. Um, I was actually, you know, it was funny because when we we would travel on the road, what was funny at first, because I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, really realize what was going on there. When we would travel with my family, um, because I was in a a Southern country gospel trio with my dad and and, uh, just the brother who's just older than me. We traveled around for years, man. And we would go places and say, we're from Milledgeville. And people would always kind of give this look. I didn't think much about it because, we weren't really as much involved with the community due to traveling so much. And, uh, and as I got older, I realized, Oh, okay. Yeah. Milledgeville was kind of known for what they would call the crazy house. Um, I would come to later uh, become a chaplain there and was there for about 10 years as a chaplain. So I no longer refer to it as a crazy house. It certainly gave me a sensitivity to mental health and mental illness. And um, actually, I think helped expand my consciousness. If using that terminology throws some people into a whirlwind, but it helped to expand the way I see humanity. Um, But yeah, uh, Milledgeville, the big city. Actually, Milledgeville was the original capital city of Georgia. A lot of people don't know that.
2: Yeah. Huh. So we want to talk today about the effects of bad theology, especially on a person's mental health. But before we get too far into that, I want to talk about—your podcast is called The Holy Heretics, right? The word heretic. Are we going to get in trouble? Are we going to get, like, zapped by a giant bolt of lightning for talking to you? Like, what? what's a
3: heretic? It's a possibility. I, I won't take that out off the table, so I apologize ahead of time. Now, um— <laughs> The, you know the word the word heretic is actually tattooed on my arm now um, because I wear it as a as a badge uh, these days because heretic really in its truest definition now again you know you have to think about definitions I mean Webster kind of compiled the dictionary that we have at least for our English language and so we you know uh, we have to realize that um, and this gets really maybe too deep philosophically right off the bat but you know Webster's deciding what these words mean which in fact means that we could sort of decide it means something else if we wanted to. Right. That's pretty deep. But anyway, Webster defined it as someone who is counter to the culture or someone who goes, basically goes against the grain. That's the paraphrase. So for a long time, you know, back in the church days and not that we don't have church days now, but back when the church ruled along with Kings, if someone was declared a heretic, some were put to death for it. But, um, you know, there were herbologists and, and, um, natural healers who were put to death for being witches too, during the witch trials. So there's a, you know, back then it carried obviously a much more dangerous uh, connotation, but today it's just sort of a fly in the face of it's, it's kind of the, it's kind of the bird finger toward religion. Um, and it basically says, I don't buy into it anymore. And, and I'm just really not picking up what they're laying down. And so that's why, for me, heretic now, where it is a badge, I don't intend to offend people, but the system has hurt a lot of people, and the system has really, in my opinion, has covered up uh, people's opportunity to have an encounter with the divine God, ground of being, everything that anything that we could use to describe this phenomenon that we call the greater uh, energy or the more powerful frequency. So I think that that's been covered up by religion. And that's not just the Christian religion, that's religion in general, especially fundamentalist type religions. There's no, you know, I say this in different places. It's a little, become a little bit of a catchphrase for me. There's no better place to hide from God than in religion. So man, that's kind of what heresy or heretical or heretic means for me. It's somebody who says, okay, I just don't buy into the norm. Um, so that's, that's really what it is.
1: I love it. I I think that I don't want to skip over a very important point and I just, I need to get clarification on this. Um, you mentioned that, that being a heretic is sort of the bird finger, um, you know, (laughs) to the church. I wonder in other parts of, of the country, did they say the bird finger? Like, is that just a Southern thing that we're going to shoot somebody a bird? Do they know what we mean when we say that?
3: i don't know i don't know I I don't mean, it's know funny either.
1: well and they're I'm lacking so, if they don't i feel bad for them
3: yeah and i'm such a such a you know like a research kind of nerd with that kind of thing because like even the finger people well, have, meet robert vore <laughs> <laughs> well people people associate that with with fu right so people sure. associate the birdfinger even with that but if you go back to like the british times during the British, British battles and uh, with all of that that went on in the UK, United Kingdom, and what was not united for a long time um, until they tried to conquer everybody. Um, archers would uh, use that symbol when they would walk into a tavern or somewhere. If they had come under attack and someone had tried to cut off their bird finger, okay, oddly enough, it was the feather that was on the end of an arrow when mm. they would shoot the arrow. That was the finger that 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 middle finger in their thumb they would use to pull back on the um, on the bow to shoot the arrow. And if they still had their finger after an attack, they would shoot that finger to let people to basically signal. I still have my finger. I can still shoot you. So, hmm. um, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting. I'm weird that way, dude. It's just like looking up the word. S H I T, I had to look it up. It was a stamp at one time. It was an acronym for Ship High in Transit, so that if you were shipping manure to you'd be used for fertilizer, you would not stand downwind of it. So that's where that came from. So, huh.
1: well, talking about the bird finger, so, you know, I'm a sign language interpreter um, by trade, by profession. That's what I do. Uh, what a- and, yeah, and people think uh, they one of the big misconceptions about sign language is that it is a universal language, that American Sign Language is universal. Well, no, it's called American Sign Language because it's not universal. There's Canadian Sign Language, Mexican Sign Language, Korean Sign Language. And in Korean Sign Language, that middle finger means my older brother. It's the tallest of all of them. So it's older brother.
0: Oh. Well. So
3: there you go.
1: I mean well, I'm glad we
3: can goes, have this talk. Well, <laughs> well it just goes <laughs> now see, this is what what it goes to show. This is what one of the things that started happening to me though, Steve, years ago, man, when I started seeing cultural differences in even in scripture and in and and in religion, I started going, Oh, wait a minute. This is a language barrier here. There's cultural stuff involved here. Yeah. And so when you start to read the Bible or any quote in quote, I'm doing quotes, but people can't see it, a quote holy writing. You have to understand the culture or you're completely misunderstanding the message. Uh, So like, you know, when I started looking at the Bible, if it's okay to go here, when I started looking at the Bible, I went, okay, the Old Testament, basically Jewish people have right to it before we do because it's the Jewish Old Testament. Most of it is. So then I had to start talking with some rabbis. And then when I realized, oh, my God, like, for instance, the doctrine of what we would call original sin. That's not a Jewish problem. That's a Christian problem. Jewish people come from the doctrine of original blessing. Um, Mm. So a a good Jew would start their prayer with, God, this essence that you've created in me that is good, blesses your name. Versus Christians going, oh God, we come before you today begging for your grace and mercy. Be merciful to us a sinner. How many, you know, think about it. This is when Mm. it starts to affect our mental health because Christians are taught you're a piece of garbage and you need to grovel at the feet of Jesus. Just hoping that Jesus, your bigger brother can defend you from God, the father who's pissed. So if, if that's where we come from, that's a head trip. That's what I call a head trip so that you spend the majority of your life, uh, at least in your childhood. And I did this, man. I woke, I went to bed nearly every night, afraid I was going to go to hell. I mean, we even had prayers. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I mean, it was like, shit, do y'all know something I don't know? You know, Dude, <laughs> I
1: am right there with you. I was a 90s kid in the Pentecostal church, and I prayed every night before I went to bed, God, please just save me again. Don't let me die tonight, because I know if I do, I will burn in hell forever. I'm yes. with you. That's
3: a scary and, place to live, especially scary. as a kid. Yes. And there's a certain level of PTSD, if I may, I don't want to be little. Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare it necessarily with battle, what happens in battle, but there's a certain post-traumatic stress that happens when you think the God of creation, you know, we need Morgan Freeman right here to say the word God, right? So the, the God of creation doesn't like you. Like, Like Here's the deal. God could shut hell's mouth, but he won't. And and he won't do it for you unless you pray the right prayer. And man, when you think about the logistics on that, it's not logical. And if we're going to say God is a God of love, and then God's not capable of a better plan than what the evangelical church has propagated, we got a problem.
1: That's right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, Paul Young, uh, the author of The Shack, uh, we talked to him a few weeks ago. He just uh, came out with a new book, Lies We Believe About God. And one of the first ones in this, uh, it's a list of 28 lies we believe about God. One of the very first ones is God loves me, but God doesn't like me. And I think that's what most of us believe—that well, God loves me because that's God's nature. But like, I'm just gonna get in by the skin of my teeth. I'm I'm just barely gonna. I'm gonna have to sit on the back row and keep my mouth shut. Uh, but maybe if I'm lucky enough, I'll get in.
3: I do believe, and I almost started a a group a couple of years ago, and I still might at some point called Religion's Anonymous for mm. people for people to kind of like you know decompress from this really it's a Luke Skywalker Darth Vader you know this devil versus god devil evil versus good and and it's bipolar okay and it's very nature think about it it's it's one end of the spectrum to the other and you know this is then this is kind of how it started to unravel for me guys So it started unravel for me when I went, God is almighty. I'm in the pulpit saying this, okay? I'm preaching to my church, my first church in Milledgeville, Georgia of 250 some odd people. And we're killing it, man. We're doing the deal. We're, We're doing the great music. We just got through recording a live album. We're on our way. And I am preaching in the pulpit. And I said, God is almighty. And found myself in the next five minutes talking about God being at war with the devil. And when I thought about that, I went, what? Hold on a second. If God is almighty, Jesus, King of kings, and Lord of lords. Right. And he, he can't have an arch enemy because if he does, he's not almighty. Mm. So this started to unravel everything for me. I started seeing really weird um, and cool sort of um, nuances and stuff in my religious belief system that just didn't work with logic.
2: Mm.
1: So our buddy Kevin Garcia... Uh, hosts uh, a Tiny Revolution podcast, and uh, he came out with a shirt here a couple of months ago. The shirt says, Bad Theology Kills. And I, I believe it because that was my story. For 28 years, I tried to be the best little church boy that I could be. And it was faith based on fear, shame, and guilt and landed me in the psych ward after attempting suicide. I was a youth pastor. And I attempted suicide and and should have died. There is no reason that I should be here today. Um, and I know that everybody doesn't have a story quite as extreme as mine, but I also know that I'm not alone in feeling pushed shot pushed aside or shamed for having questions that don't fit that status quo of Christianity. So that's that's where we want to go today um, with this is the danger of bad theology and the impact of bad theology on our mental health. That's what we want to talk about today. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, um, all right, here's a few questions. Um, These came in on Facebook. Uh, Lucy asked, how do you know if you have bad theology if no one has told you and you haven't had some kind of rock-bottom experience? So what are some warning signs that, hey, I may, be, I may have some really warped, damaging, toxic theology?
3: Well, okay, so these are, obviously, I'll give a disclaimer, these are my opinions, okay? Sure. And these are things that I've experienced. Um, so one of the things that I try to measure my, uh, my theology by, um, as still cons- being considered by some a Christian minister, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. I start to measure by love because first John four, eight says that God is that. And if I look at what Paul says about love, okay, now again, I'm not coming from a literal standpoint, but I'm saying, let's just use the Bible for example. And let's just say that it is the word of God inspired. So if it is Paul to me, gives us an outline for where all of our actions should lie. And that's in, you know, that love is patient and love is kind. Love is not puffed up. Love doesn't serve itself. Love is not arrogant. Love is, is, is uh, long suffering. You know what I'm saying? So all of these things that come into play and it says the three things that are going to be remain in the faith, hope, and love. So I always try to like filter, filter my theology now through, first of all, the life of Jesus. Secondly, what Paul said about love, because first John four, a said that God is love. So if Jesus says to me, okay, like we're going through this right now, we're seeing this happen in America. If Jesus says to me, love your enemies, but I'm trying to build a wall to keep them out or trying to build a wall or trying to ban people from coming in because we fear them. I mean, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, take up your gun and follow me. The Hmm. discomfort the discomfort that we have right now in this country, the fear that I understand, because it, it's it, we're get constantly getting bombarded with fear. For me, the theology, all right, so I'll go back to the question because I don't want to like go on a rabbit chase here. I try to filter my theology through what Jesus said. And Jesus said, love, your, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself which implies that you have to love yourself healthily in order to love your neighbor healthily, right? So that's kind of where I feel to my theology. So when people are wondering about having bad theology, I would say that until we can get the principles Jesus preached down pat, we probably don't need to work on any other dogmas. Mm. That's good. Hey guys, uh,
2: Robert and Steve here. Quick note. We just wanted to remind you about our Patreon. You can find that at cxmh.com support. There's different levels. You'll get different rewards centered around our brand new exclusive book, I Love Jesus. But and you can find all that there. Steve, why should the people support us?
1: <laughs> really? Um...
2: I thought I'd toss it to you.
1: Oh man, you just tossed it to me. I wasn't even ready. Uh, why should they support? support us? Because you believe in what we're doing. Because you know that living at the intersection of faith and mental health is not always the easiest thing in the world. That we all need a friend, somebody to hold our hand as we walk through this thing and navigate uh, what can be a, a confusing, frustrating experience at times. So help us expand what we're doing, reach more people, and spread a little message of love and acceptance to everybody who needs to hear it. Yeah.
2: Well, anyway, I'm go so do that. Ended. That's alright, and we'll get you right back to the episode right now. Ksh, whoop, whoop, <laughs> So our friend Aaron Smith, who you can check out his PS episode a few weeks back, but he asks this, what effect does singing Victory in Jesus or similar songs do to our, our theology of suffering?
3: Denial. Denial. Mm. It, it, okay, so I'm, I'm going to say this here, and I love some good praise and worship songs, don't get me wrong. I come from the Pentecostal background and Baptist, I think also saying victory in Jesus, you know, I heard an old story, how a savior came from glory, how He gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Now you see notice right there already, there's theology in there that says I'm a wretch. I'm no good. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. Uh, you know, please God, please don't hate me. You know, this whole groveling at the feet is just that. First of all, is bad theology. In my opinion, victory in Jesus, a lot of the praise and worship stuff that we do these days, basically, it's we're singing these songs as if we're trying to pick Jesus up for a one night stand. Um, <laughs> yeah, most of Absolutely. us, most of us, most of us are not interested in a marriage to Jesus and his theology. Anyway, we're more interested in a one night stand um, because to be married to the idea of Jesus means you have to start loving your enemies, and that's pretty tight. That's kind of hard to do, right? So we don't want to be, we're not, that's why I don't believe that the Christian church is working today, because we don't really follow Jesus. We are more likely to follow some of Paul's bipolar behavior that shows up in the scripture. We're more likely to follow Moses, but we really kind of ignore Jesus. I mean, let's just be real, because the theology Jesus gives us to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it kind of has this impact, and I'll use this as an example, um, it's kind of like you having a really nice house on the beach and, um, you decide you want to build a second level to that, that house, you know, you're like, Hey, let's make this house two story. Um, and you start to put out the plans and build and your neighbor comes next door and your neighbor says, Hey, uh, here's, here's the thing. I, I like to sit down on my porch and look at the views. The sun comes up, um, in the sky, in the beach every morning. That's how I do my meditation. The, the theology of Jesus basically tells you that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, which means you are you need to stop the plans for building your second story for your neighbor's peace. Now, that sounds crazy, but if you think about it, you take it to the nth degree to love your neighbor as yourself is a very hard theology, right? So anyway, I'm just, uh, I kind of went on a rabbit trail with that. So the question again was victory in Jesus and suffering. I I kind of like, I'm starting to see some songs being written by people. Uh, <laughs> one that Peter Rollins talks about. And Peter's so great, dude. Uh, he talks about this uh, Irish uh, praise and worship song that was written for one of his events. And it says, um, the third verse says in it, I've effed it up. And I'm uh, right now I'm censoring myself. I've effed it up so many times. I've effed it up so many times. I've effed it up so many times. And you love me still.
1: I love it. I yeah. love it. If we had honest worship, because for me there is nothing more awkward in the whole world than picturing Jesus coming in for a sloppy wet kiss.
3: I know. Well, dude, dude you know, I listen. don't want a sloppy wet kiss from Jesus. I don't want it. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, is, and uh, man, uh, listen. I used to be in a church where the the minister would say. Um, when you'd have those moments, you know, where the Holy Ghost is a move, and right, C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A, Coca-Cola. he would get up, right? C O C A C O L A, Coca Cola. I just wanted to give you the interpretation, so you wouldn't Thank think you. I was bad theology. Uh, he he would say, "Hey, say, take a moment and let's make love to the Holy Ghost." Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! gosh.
1: Dude, yeah. I have a friend who went to college, uh, uh, an AG Bible college, and he talked about the president of the college came in during a chapel service and interrupted the worship service and said, let's all just raise our hands and make love to Jesus.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Madonna said something similar to that years ago, and they almost put her on a cross. You know, she said that the thing she loves about a crucifix is a naked man hanging on a cross. Ooh. Um Right. And and people f- took it as blasphemy, but I'm like, when I, we really are equating this to a sexual encounter. And here's the thing, you know, I personally think that we've gotten so far, we're doing what we can. I, I say we, I've kind of come out, I've sort of been castigated. That's castigated, not castrated for anybody who wondered. <laughs> I've sort of been castigated by the uh, many churches. And so I'm not really there anymore, but what I'm saying, evangelical churches propping up a system That has made a lot of money. One of the best ways you can do that is to ignore suffering, ignore suffering, ignore suffering, be in denial about it. And let's let's sing you happy.
1: Yeah. Just choose joy, John.
3: Just choose choose joy. Choose joy. And the reality is, is that there's a lot of really bad shit that goes on. Okay, we deal with life is full of those shitty moments and. I don't think we've been taught to be honest in church and people will say, well, you don't have to cuss to be honest. Well, true. You're, you're right about that. But what else can you say to be honest in church? I mean, most of the time church is built around this idea that these perfect people on the stage who have it together are going to take you into the presence of God. God's going to supernaturally heal you. The preacher's going to get up and give a message. And if you will exercise everything that he or she says, and it's a she only if it's not a Baptist church, if you'll exercise. What they say, then you will be okay. Sometimes that does not work. And what do you do in that moment? That's well, right. This, for me, brother, is what brings me to an understanding that my atheist buddies are probably closer to a relationship with God than most Christians are. Talk mm-hmm. about it. I, I, you know, we have this super being off in the sky somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. it it reminds me of the Bart Simpson show. Have you ever watched the Simpsons? You're not supposed oh, to. Oh yeah, But
1: I would sneak it. Mama would. Oh, she didn't. mm -mm. We couldn't watch the Smurfs. We couldn't go trick or treating, but I would sneak and watch the Simpsons. But go ahead.
3: And you had to pray about it, though, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I feel guilty. So uh, where were we headed with that? Oh, yeah. yeah, No, no. no, no. Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson's in trouble. Homer hits his knees and starts praying. And he says he says, oh, uh, I know I don't talk to you much, but please, Superman, if you're out there, will you please come save me? Um, that's God. That's this super being that's outside of us, who's going to fix it all. And let me just say, my atheist buddies are right when they question it, because if G- if Jesus could walk on water but couldn't cure world hunger, then our God is a sadistic killer of humanity.
1: Truly. That's tough, and you know Robert talked about this on a previous episode about um, his his own personal struggle with prayer, and I am right there with you. I, it's it's a tough thing for me, um, but guided meditation I can do. Um, you know there there are other ways now that I you mentioned you talked about you know somebody sitting on the front porch and watching the sunrise or watching the sunset. Man, yes. I, I experience. God in those moments and it is a it is a spiritual experience for me there's nothing more beautiful more big uh for me to experience than something like that and to to you know to think that I have to do more than that to experience the creator I experience the creator through his creation
3: sure and let's and let's think about this guys I mean and I don't want to monopolize the conversation but let's let's think about this <laughs> thank you. that's sweet. what would what would happen if we woke up to this reality that maybe maybe the kingdom of God is within, which simply means that we're created in the likeness and the image of God to be creators uh, and to be mirror images of that creation. And if it led us to stop trying to create God in our own image, which is exactly what we do when we build theologies, because we can't cope with an encounter with God. We we shield ourselves, and we uh, we uh, basically um, what's the right word? Uh, let's see. We insulate ourselves with theologies and emotions. Um, uh, we we create graven images, and hmm the root word for graven is grave. We create dead images and we worship those things and and then we get mad at people who idolize someone else. But when we're constantly trying to create God in our own image, we uh, lose sight of what God is. And in fact, none of us really, and this is maybe seems weird, but I I feel this more and more every day. This is why people will say, what do you believe? And I'll say, well, I will share with you what I believe right now, but it is subject to change because I have, I have decided to stop trying to um, create God in my image. I've decided to request the opposite, Mm -hmm. you know, where basically every day is God create me in your image. And that's not a prayer to an external being who has the ability to just kind of zap me and eventually beam me up to the to Enterprise at some point. This is this is speaking to the deeper part of myself. It's the sound to me that holds the quarks together. Uh, in quantum physics, they found that quarks, which are the which are the which are the particles and the material and the matter. Uh, This is theology that matters. Anyway, it's the matter. It's the matter that holds the atom together. And the atom is the kind of the ultimate Trinity. It's protons, electrons, and neutrons. And then it's the sound that holds it together. Um, To me, that's the activity that I call God. Or ground of being, it's the energy that forms us all in the very depth of our being. So that we begin to understand that when we are just quiet and we allow ourselves to hear the deeper part of our own self, it's in there that we hear what is referred to in the scripture as that still small voice. Mm-hmm. Um, quantum physics, man, they couldn't figure out the space between these quarks, okay, because they didn't touch each other directly. There was a space between, but something helped them to hold together. And if they removed each other, they got divided. They would just snuff out. They'd cease to exist. And so they decided to listen to it instead of trying to see it. And when they listened to it, they heard a sound that was similar to a breath. And it was similar to what the Jewish people, the Jewish mystics years ago used to say was the name of God, which is Yah. So it was that sound that they heard that freaked them out. They were like, oh my God, all of this is held together with the sound, which reminded me of the mystic Paul in Hebrews 11 that said, by the word, the worlds were formed, which led me again to John chapter one that said, in the beginning was the word, the word and that word there in the Greek is logos, where we get the word logic in the beginning was logic, the logic of God, and nothing was created without the logic of God. So God ceases to be this external being. Who's always going to save me from my shit storm and becomes this power within me to create a better world. And when we think about it from that standpoint, dude, we stop becoming these powerless, uh, Unclean, filthy vessels, and we start recognizing that if we house the kingdom of God, we have the power to shift this planet. And that's where I live now. Man, we need science Uh back to explain some of that there. Yeah,
1: Yeah. to talk about neurotheology. Oh, my goodness. I want to touch on what you talked about, though the importance of silence, because Mm -hmm. we are surrounded with noise. Those of us, especially. Especially who are in the church, we're surrounded with noise because there's every preacher, whether they're you know, at our church or on TV or Christian authors, they're all throwing answers at us. They're screaming the right way, you know, the the God of their box and, and shoving these answers down our throat. But Mother Teresa said, We need to find God, and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. Mm. See how nature, trees, flowers, grass grows in silence. See the stars, the moon, and the sun, how they move in silence. And I know from my own life, it is when I have so much noise coming at me that my anxiety goes through the roof. I, Thanks to better theology, a better understanding of God, God good exercise, a good diet. I have done a lot in myself to lower my anxiety in a major way. I have gone from taking my prescription three times a day. I went down to taking it once a day and now I just take it PRN as needed, uh, all with the guidance of my doctor. Um, But I notice those times when I feel like I need it. it is when I have so much noise coming at me. Might be my pastor, might be my parents. It might be social media, but there's all these answers. This is the way you should think. This is the way you should believe. This is the way you should vote. This is the way you should behave. And when I get silent and I go sit by the river or I go out to my grandparents and I walk way out in the middle of the woods and I just sit down and get quiet, man, you talk about something good for your mental health, get quiet for a while.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I probably am letting the cat out of the bag. And if my wife listens to this podcast, she'll be like, you need to quit doing this because if you say it out loud, you won't be as motivated to do it. But anyway, (laughs) I'm actually, I'm actually working on an outline. So see, so, so to me, what I'm about to do is I'm about to make myself accountable for doing this. Okay. Um, I am because I'm I'm ADD, I'm an artist. I don't really think in terms of like writing, but I've been thinking about writing a book for a while now. And this book that I'm working on right now, I'm actually already working on the outline for it and I will complete it because I'm saying I'm going to and it's it's in data out there in the entire universe. Oh, hey, um, you're
2: further in your book than I am on mine, so. <laughs> I love it.
3: I'm it writing on. this book. I'm writing this book called The Law of Subtraction. Ah. Uh, we've,
0: we've what you did
3: there. You see what I did there? Mm. We've had the law of attraction. Let's how can we attract more stuff, more things, more, and, and some of the laws of attraction, I, I, I completely, I'm like totally with, because I do believe that we do attract a lot of people and things into our life based on what we believe. You know, Jesus even said, you'll have what you believe. And often we do. And that's why we, I think we have to shift in consciousness and a lot of times um, modify what we believe. And so I believe we can be the change we want to see is what I'm saying. But the law of subtraction speaks to this idea that we are too damn busy. We are too caught up in even arguing our beliefs. Like when I first came out of the closet theologically all I could do was debate. I became a master debater. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. And yes. I, became a, I became a debater. That's what I wanted to do all the time was tell people, this is what the Bible really says about hell. And this is what the Bible really says about sin. And this is what the Bible really says about Jesus and dying on the cross for all of humanity. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What do you do with that? And it's now... It's now not an argument for me because I realized that if you live from a place of argument, you're always going to have one. And the only way that the conflict persists is with your participation. So I decided to not participate in it. And I would just be in my place of, of start figuring out what it was to be quiet. David, the psalmist said, be still and know that I am. God. When we think about what David's dealing with there, sometimes you just have to be still and rest in I, I am. Mm-hmm. And people will say, well, you are what? I am whatever I'm going to need me to be. And I am fully capable of overcoming anything. And I'm fully capable of getting through anything and I'm getting in this silent moment to remind myself of the power that I have within me to create the world I want. And this gives you a chance to me to disconnect from everything. We have to unplug, man. If we don't unplug, we don't ever locate the God particle. I think one of the things that Eastern religions has, has definitely had been leap years ahead of us on is that. Understanding meditation and it's not just you know, it's not just people think it's weird. You know, what are you just going to sit down in the grass and hum? Well, you might mm-hmm. but You know prayer you can you can, for me. That's what prayers become guys. It's become being silent and I actually will play I'll play some um Very very quiet easy music kind of the stuff you'd almost hear in a spa or a meditation a, le- a yep. guided meditation I have about 30 minute commute in the mornings and I will, I'll actually play that music for that entire 30 minutes and I will be at work and not even realize where I've been. I'll have these sort of really cool, um, quiet times. And I don't say a word. I don't say anything. I listen. I listen to the universe, listen to the frequency that's being sent my way. I'll do that on the way home. And I'll do that about four days a week, man. I got to tell you, you do 60 minutes of meditation every day. Um, it changes your life. It really does. I love it. Quick, I want to hey, go back to a quick, quick
2: disclaimer. Oh. Uh, if, if your drive to work is when you listen to this podcast, ignore that advice entirely and keep doing that instead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
3: Find, find another time to meditate.
1: No, I want to go back to what you um to what you said a minute ago, and, and I'm going to get this wrong because it's sort of like Tim Allen uh, listening to Wilson on the other side of the fence, and then going back and you know telling his wife what Wilson said and jacking it all up. That's probably what I'm about to do, but um, talking about how you are capable of. Overcoming that you are capable of being whatever it is that you need in that moment. All right. So, two bits of feedback. Initially, I hear that and go, Yeah, tell that to the guy who's just attempted suicide, you know. But sure. being the guy who attempted suicide almost five years ago, I think you're right. Because here's what I know about life sometimes it sucks. Sometimes really shitty things happen, and sometimes they happen for like a whole season, and you're like, really? Could one more thing happen? The sky is literally falling. But also what I know is that things get better. Mm -hmm. Life gets better. Good comes. There is beauty in every day if we're willing to look for it, to be open to it things do get better. So I do agree with you. My initial was, boy, that, that just sounds good. But no, I think that's right.
3: Well, you know, here's the thing. I have been in a state of, now I've never attempted suicide, but I was certainly really close at one uh, point in my life, uh, more than one point in my life, really. Um, and I have to tell you that it was in that crisis that the christ started to become reality to me, I started to realize Christ was not Jesus last name. Christ really does speak to that deeper essence of who we are. Um, Which led me to a lot of study along with uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who um, became a a really cool teacher of mine. He transitioned a little over a year ago and um, I miss him a lot, Mm -hmm. but he used to say all the time that he would say, um, he would say, you know, my life is perfect. And I remember thinking, are you kidding? What do you mean your life is perfect? How can you see your life as perfect? Now,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and this is after many years of him dealing with how to purposefully take charge of everything that goes on in your life. It's one thing to have emotion, which Don, uh, Neil Donald Walsh says is energy in motion. And it's another, another thing to have commotion. And what, what, uh, what Dr. Dyer would say is he would say, okay, he said, look, I, when, when I was a kid, I got abandoned by a father who was an alcoholic. My, my mother couldn't afford to raise us, so we ended up in an orphanage. He said, I look at my life as perfect. He said, I was sent here to teach people self-confidence. I was, te- I was sent here to teach people how to become the best version of themselves. And he said, I experienced doing that, overcoming that on a personal level, which made me able to go back and grab people by the hand and say, this too shall pass. We mm. will get through this. I'm a living testimony. You, you can live through this and you can live again. And when he would say it that way, I went, oh, so, so I look at my life now, guys, and I think of all the shitty moments and I go, you know what? I would not take. I would not trade a single one of those situations that I went through. I put myself through and then others put me through. Okay. My theology put me there in many cases. I wouldn't change it for the world because now I recognize that I understand the psychosis that comes along with a lot of those issues. And I understand what it is to try to bridge the gap now between what I consider to be bad theology and what I consider to be freedom from theology Now I know how to do that. I have walked across the bridge. I said to someone yesterday, I said, can you imagine the first people who were asked to cross a bridge? I mean, the first people in humanity to see a bridge, all they know is that I'm not sure that this thing's going to hold me. And down beneath is nothing but cold water and rocks. Mm -hmm. The guys who built the bridge, they were like, come on, it's good. It's all good. You can make it. You can, you're, it's okay. Go through it. I'm telling you, you're going to make it across. And, and can you, but can you imagine trying to sell that? Um, that's, that's what we're experiencing now. And you've had people like Carlton Pearson cross that bridge. You've had people like Rob Bell cross that bridge. You, you have people like us, us, your, your podcast and our podcast who are looking at Rob and Carlton and we're seeing people and we're going, you know what? Hey, we can walk across this bridge and now we become bridge builders. And so I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about the world I live in, but I would not be able to speak from a place of empathy if I had not experienced it. And I did. I grew up in it. And now I look back over my life and I go, it's all perfect.
1: Hmm. I love it. All right. You got time for one more question? Sure. (laughs) Okay. The last one. So uh, I'll start with a quote by Rob Bell, who I love. Uh, Here's what he said. For a lot of people in our world today, God has become about believing the right stuff so you don't get in trouble. So Lucy asked on Facebook, what can we do, practically speaking, to change or combat bad theology? So we see it out there. We see our friends experiencing the impacts of bad theology. What can? How can we help?
3: Well, first of all, I believe that questions are answers in seed form. So one of the ways that I have found to specifically – let's go to the doctrine of hell real quick, which is – Where most Christians go when you start talking about this kind of theology, because if you're going to say, man, I better have my theology on track or I'm going to get in trouble. What do you think of? Well, I could go to hell, right? Sure. So one of the things that I started doing and this, man, gosh, when I think about this now, it makes me feel old, really. But back in the year 2000 and 2001, I started questioning my theology on hell, what I really believed about hell. Um, and it started with a question and those questions led to more answers. And then I questioned the answers to, to come to the place now where I live in a constant state of the question. This is what we call walking in faith. Uh, We talk Mm -hmm. about walking in faith, but if you have text and you have a roadmap, you don't need faith. You don't need faith. You don't need faith for certainty. You need faith for the uncertain. Mm -hmm. So what I would encourage Lucy to do with the people in her community is to ask them the questions. I will tell you this, though. Most of the time, the questions are going to tick people off initially. Um, Truth is... So like, I don't believe that truth is the destination. I believe truth is the journey that makes any sense. In other words, I don't know that we get to it as much as we walk through it. Like we, truth is ever unfolding to us. Mm -hmm. It's not that it is better to
1: travel well than to arrive.
3: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, And we're, and we're just on this journey, right? So uh, I would say to Lucy, ask all of the hard questions. And for evangelical Christians, the hard questions would be this, did Jesus die to save me from my sins? So that I don't go to hell, and so that I can go to heaven. So we start there. Okay, let's let's then we pick start picking that apart. Okay, well then what is hell? Let's start there. What truly is sin? Let's go there. What about the life of Jesus? Did God have to kill my older brother so that he could deal with the rest of the siblings? Um, we start to kind of see. You know, I, I think the questions again lead us to answers. Do I have all the answers on these theologies? No. But these really, really big theologies uh, that used to rule my life—they don't anymore because they just got really so shot full of holes that it sunk the boat. You know what I mean? Um, so, do I, does I, do I believe that it invalidates the Bible? Uh, invalidates Christians? Uh, invalidates evangelicalism? Well, I personally think that uh, evangelical Christianity is doing a lot to invalidate itself, but. I look at the Bible and I say I love the Bible and, and I really appreciate all of these wonderful people who wrote down what their experiences were. But again, that's another thing. You know, that's another question. Well, what about the Bible? Is it inerrant? Is it the infallible? Is it? Does it have contradictions in it? Um, these are all questions I would encourage Lucy to ask herself. When you ask the questions, I'll say it this way: When the student is ready, the teacher will arrive.
1: That's so good, John Scott. You Man, thank you so much. Let me tell y'all, if you are living in the gray area, if you are learning to love the power of curiosity and mystery, if you are a spiritual misfit, if you have questions... Go listen to The Holy Heretics. It is one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to it every week. I love it. It is so encouraging, and it gives you permission to come to the table. It invites you. They invite you in for dialogue, and it's not— controversy for the sake of controversy, but they are willing to be controversial for the sake of conversation. So go listen to The Holy Heretics. John, thank you so much for being here today, man. Where else can people connect with you online?
3: Well, thank you guys for letting me be on here. And I will say I'll add this to that plug, and I really appreciate that. I encourage people to do the same with your show here, and we will definitely cross, uh, promote, as we've said before, I want people to really hear what you guys are saying as well. I will say this. I dare you. I dare you to listen to our podcast. I dare you to get on a journey with us, but it's dangerous and it's scary as hell. And so join us for that. All right. That's a little intriguing maybe, but people can, people can locate me on johnscottonline.com. It looks like John's cotton line. Um, <laughs> Are you selling but, underwear or t shirts? Well, uh, I'm, I'm in, in the process of designing both. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. We'll, pro- we'll probably come out with Holy Heretics thongs
2: or
3: something. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, John Scott. So, John Scott Online. Com, John Scott Online. Com, And it's John without an H. So, it's J O N. S-C-O-T-T, online.com. As a matter of fact, that has my, um, it has some of the samples of my new uh, inspirational EP that's going to be available um, here in about the next two weeks. So, yeah, I'm excited about that, and I appreciate you guys letting me be on here to hang out with you.
2: Absolutely.
1: We had a blast. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. You guys rock.
0: Thanks for listening to the CXMH Podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at cxmhpodcast at gmail.com. final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.